What's going on, friends? This is Ro from the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. You're tuned in to the Coruscant Radio Underground. May the Force be with you. Welcome back, Star Wars fans, to another episode of Coruscant Radio Underground, presented by the ScienceFictionary.com. I'm here tonight with Daniel and Marisha. Hey. And uh, we're going to get into, we've got a couple of questions from some some folks on Twitter, and we've got a couple of topics to get in. It's uh, until they drop, we got about a week and a half left until they drop whatever Project Luminous is on us. Uh-huh. And uh, so after that, we should get into all kinds of new stuff. But well, not to mention now. Clone Wars. Clone Wars is back on Friday, so that's going to be a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hope you've had a chance by now maybe to check out our new show at the Science Fictionarian. Uh, the first episode for that is up, and it is now available. Everywhere. On Podbean, <laughs> iTunes, Google Podcasts. Pretty much, and, and now that it's on iTunes, it should start showing up in your podcatchers. I checked a few today. It's kind of, it looked like it was in about half of them. Okay. So it's starting to show up in those podcatchers and should continue over the next few days to, to show up in those places. But that new show is available everywhere, and that's going to be our new show to discuss all things science fiction, fantasy, action adventure, comic book movies. That aren't Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean that Star Wars will never come up on that, just because if you're going to talk all things science fiction and fantasy, occasionally it's going to come up, but generally the, the Star Wars is going to stay over here um, and, and the new stuff over there, but yep. we're really excited about that new show and hopefully have a new episode of that up here real soon. All right, so one of the things that's been kind of floating around since Kathleen Kennedy made some comments maybe last week was that she has said that a female director in Star Wars is definitely something that they're going to make happen. Yes, and they should. And they should. And so the question there is, because I know there's some kickback, oh, give it to the most qualified person. And I agree, give it to the most qualified person, but there's certainly some qualified right. female directors. Right. I mean, whenever yeah. you say that, it's like, and what, the most qualified person can't be Female? I mean, there are a lot <laughs> right. of women on this planet, and some of them are good at what they do. Yeah. I mean, you know, shocking as that may be. So what I wanted to get into tonight is, or I want to talk a little bit about, is just supposing that that's true, that they're working. I mean, she whether what she said was they're actually already working on something or that something that they intend to make happen is kind of up in the air exactly what she meant by that statement. Mm -hmm. But so if we've got a chance to go out there and pick either one female director to helm a Star Wars movie or several, a pool to choose from. Right. Who are some people that are on your list to helm a Star Wars movie? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, first obvious one, even though she's going to go do, the Obi-Wan series now, but when that's over, I mean, I think Deborah Chow has certainly began to prove herself in the world of, of Star Wars with what she did with 
the Mandalorian. Ab- absolutely. Is, yeah, for I don't sure. know why that's not a possibility. If we're really shooting big here, and I don't know if she would do it, but Catherine Bigelow, the only woman to have won an Academy Award for Best Director right. at, at this point. Um, yeah. and, and I've got I've got both of them on my list here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they don't – and just to reiterate, though, what you and Marisha were both alluding to, we're not talking about giving a woman a Star Wars film to direct just for the sake of being a woman. Right. Um, but there are certainly – women out there who are just as talented or more than any of the male directors we've had on these films already, who I'm sure have got some wonderful ideas about what they like to do in this world. Mm-hmm. So if one of those pops up, certainly there's no reason not to give them the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, I think very talented female directors. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Catherine Bigelow has got so many, she, what did she win? She won her award uh, award for the hurt locker, the hurt locker. Okay, which was ver- which was very well deserved. Like, there's no right. one is ever going to tell you that film did not deserve the Oscars it won, including mm-hmm. hers, right? Including Best Director. So, uh, you know, and she also did K nineteen, the, the Widowmaker with Harrison Ford, which is a really good movie. Okay, yeah, she did. And Point Break, like people forget, yeah. like you wouldn't watch Point Break, the original Point Break with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. You wouldn't watch that movie and go, a woman directed that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, right. she, it's. <clears throat> It's got nothing to do with it. She's just talented. Right. Yep. And, um, I mean, I think probably your pool of well-known, you know, female directors tends to be fairly small. And I think for something like Star Wars, you don't necessarily, you, you want to pull somebody who has some name recognition, you know, just, well, for the sake of having name recognition, because it's, it's Star Wars. Well, but here's the thing with with what, what I've been disappointed in the choice of, of of people for directing Star Wars movies, even though they've mostly worked out okay, is we've kind of done this thing where we're going to go try the new hotshot director, right? And you know they've they've let a couple of those they've let a few of those go because it wasn't working out, right? It's like let's quit experimenting with new directors and let's get proven talent. Yeah. I mean, I would kind of like to see Bryce Dallas Howard again. You know, she did, she did an episode of the Mandalorian. Um, and you know, she's, you know, I mean, she's, she's been around the industry forever. She's, um, and she's not, doesn't have an aversion to being involved in a franchise, you know, she's done Jurassic world. She's done things like that. So, you know, some people I think in Hollywood tend to like, uh, I, uh, one of the names when Andrew and I were talking, I was like, well, I mean, there's always Sophia Coppola and he's like, yeah, like, like a Coppola wants to do a star Wars movie. I, I thought of her name too, though. I did. And, and <laughs> so I, I mentioned like to Marisha, maybe she'll come do a hut film. <laughs> I mean, well, and the, the, the other one I thought of not to interrupt Marisha, the other one I thought of is, it, but kind of to go along with what Marissa's is talking about, whether or not this is even in their wheelhouse, but they're talented. Greta Gerwig. Yeah. The, I, actually, I was kind of thinking about her. She, I mean, she tends to go a little more artsy than you typically, you know, although honestly. Right, so saying maybe not in her wheelhouse, but certainly the talent to, yeah. to want her involved. Although, I mean, especially like A New Hope is it definitely 
um, kind of reflective, you know, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely got more sort of, um, you know, watch people think moments. We tend to sometimes kind of think of it, Star Wars as action, which of course it is, but it's also philosophical. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be interesting if they went and and got someone who you know, has a little as more those, of a reputation yeah. as a kind of artsy director. Yeah. Um, another one I had on my list, like right at the top of my list, is Patty Jenkins. I mean, I think she's the probably the most. Oh, yeah. Her and Deborah Chow, I think, are the most obvious. I, names. I really, really like Deborah Chow. The only knock against Deborah Chow is that she's only directed TV. Ah. Uh, now she has directed. The Mandalorian, The Man in the High Castle, Turn, she's she uh, Better Call Saul. She's directed on a lot of stuff. And with things like The Mandalorian, she has directed on something, even though it's technically a TV show, right. it is still a big cinematic type TV show. The technology mm-hmm. and stuff that Jon Favreau pulled out to use on The Mandalorian yeah. is, is kind of unbelievable. And and the cinematography on the last season, especially of Man in the High Castle, is beautiful. Yeah. So, and I don't know how many episodes of that she directed, but she certainly has worked on these things that are big and cinematic, even though they're they're for streaming services and technically they're TV. But I mean, at some point, these some of these high end streaming shows are not exactly TV anymore. Yeah, I agree. Um, another person of interest, I haven't seen anything she's done yet, but I'm watching closely and would probably be on my short list if this uh, movie pans out, is Kate Shortland, who is doing the Black Widow film. Ah. Because so far, that's looking pretty darn good. Yeah. I, know. I Just, hadn't, even, hadn't even thought of her, though. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. she would be down my list. You know, Catherine Bigelow... Patty Jenkins and Deborah Chow would be my top three. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone I would love to see work in Star Wars, and I don't know if necessarily a movie, but as a director and maybe eventually a movie, is uh, is Jennifer Lee. And you probably don't know that name because she's only done animation so far. Huh. She is the director on the fro- both Frozen movies. Okay, yes. Um, and she is... Very, I, I would say, I mean, those those movies are just fantastic. And I would say that she is very proven in the fantasy field. Yes. Having worked on those films. Now, again, the jump from animation to live action is mm-hmm. not really an easy one. Um, it's they're different. Maybe go find her, John Favreau, to um, kind of work with somebody or, who's got. Or send her to work with Dave Filoni on whatever's next and yeah. see what she does. But. You know, she would be way down my list because, again, I'm not really for experiments in our big theatrical Star Wars movies. Not today. But maybe... Maybe in 10 years once we're a little less worried about drama. (laughs) Right. So did you have anybody else on your list other than wanting to see Sofia Coppola do a (laughs) a, uh, Star Wars gangster movie? Star Wars gangster movie. No, I think that... um, I think that all the names that I had have already been brought up. (laughs) Um, it, it sounds like we were all kind of on the same page there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there were only so many, you know, so many people who in well, the world the, who kind of had the scope the, to the do. The big name that keeps flying around, as soon as Kathleen Kennedy made her statement, the name that everybody started talking about was Ava DuVernay. 
Uh, yeah, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because Is she I, had the Ava, one? I had Ava DuVernay on my list, and when we started talking, it slipped my mind. But that's that's certainly something I would. Ava DuVernay is a very talented director. My only concern, her first, her only big foray into fantasy, was a colossal flop. That was yeah, but, um, oh geez, the the one. With... Um, how many other directors, female, male, what? It, so what? You get a flop. It it happens. I still I mean, think she's got the chops to pull it off. She does. She's very talented. There's no doubt about that. So, I, I would be on board with that. I'd be interesting to interested to see what she would do with it. Um, my whole thing is with a lot of the Star Wars is that yes, your director matters, but you got to have the right writer. That is true. And if you don't, and that's honestly, I think that's been the biggest problem so far with the Star Wars movies has been the oversight on writing. That's also the problem we're beginning to see with Star Wars TV, where mm -hmm. they've had to scrap the scripts for the two other planned shows right. and start over. Well, for the movies, they pretty much just gave the directors free reign to write whatever they wanted, apparently. Well, that's ended up more or less what happened with... Uh, with the the the, the, the saga, the saga movies. movies, yeah. I I would like to just see whoever comes in next. I I would like to just see somebody with a track record, you know, who who were fairly confident. It's okay. So you just think the PR was bad whenever they fired Lord Miller and when they followed, fired Colin Trevorrow. Can you imagine yep. if they hired the first female director ever on a Star Wars movie and then fired her? Yep, that's going to be Can a nightmare. You, yeah, that's going to be a PR nightmare. Oh my, and they, so that, that needs to not happen. Um, yes, just like you said, make, make sure someone competent who you have full confidence in going in yes don't let them start don't let them start making it and then act like you just realized what they wanted to do right have a problem with it you make, make sure. sure yes yes because i don't even like i think that i would just have to leave twitter for six months if that happened because mm -hmm. can you just imagine the fury yep it would it would be a bad deal and honestly, yeah. I'm really, I'm really tired of Star Wars getting so much bad PR. I'm tired of listening to it. I'm tired of seeing it. I just, I, I want there to not be anything to talk about <laughs> for a little while. Okay. Uh, did you have any more names, Daniel, or did that kind of wrap up your list? No, that that kind of wrapped up my list. Catherine Bigelow, Greta Gerwig, just because I know it's not really her real house, but I do like her as a director. Deborah Chow, we all mentioned the, the really kind of those three. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm not opposed to Sophia Coppola. I know, Andrew, you kind of made a joke about that, but. No, I mean, she would be a fantastic director for a Star Wars movie. I just like, it would have to be, I think you'd have to offer her just the right movie for her to want to come do it. I think that's true. Yeah. And the same may be true for Catherine Bigelow, even though she's done these, you know, she's she's handled large scale action type movies before, and she knows how to pace a good movie also. 
and it and, and it doesn't matter. You go from Point Break, which is you know almost thirty years old now, but when you go from Point Break, which is fast paced, uh-huh. and action movie to something like Heart Locker, which has its share of you know action and those intense moments, but it's paced out to be more of a of a thoughtful movie and mm-hmm. an examination of one person's psyche. She's proven herself to be able to do both and pull it off. Yeah. I just think she's a fantastic. She's one of the best directors we have. Period, male or female. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it'll be definitely be interesting to see how that one plays out. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's coming. It's it's going to be exciting. I mean, you know, we we've already got Deborah Chow is going to helm the the Obi Wan the Obi Wan series, and even though there's been some rumors with the delay on that that they might be going back from streaming back to theatrical. Um, I don't think those rumors are true. I don't uh, either. Um, that's that's been floating around out there, but I don't believe it at all. I think that's going to remain firmly on Disney Plus. I think it's the best place for it. And I think, you know, they also want to continue to put out don't cancel your subscription content on Disney Plus. Yeah, well, that's going right. to change. That's going to change a lot once it. Marvel really gets their machine cranked up. That's true. But they they still they don't want the Mandalorian to be the only thing Star Wars that they have. Oh on their no, streaming they services. they want to be running two to three series a year. Yeah, of Star Wars in addition to two or three series of Marvel a year on there, and eventually just they the will way get the there. plan works out right now. So right. All right, so we actually had a uh, row over at uh, Scarif Scuttlebutt sent us a question on Twitter a little while ago. Uh, for tonight's episode, and I think it's actually a good segue from this first conversation. With the advent of new Star Wars and new directors, how radical of a vision should Lucasfilm allow in to tell new stories? That's an excellent question. Well, we kind of started to touch on this just a second ago. I mean, yeah. well, that's why I said I think we, this is a good. Are we, yeah. Are we ready to take a bunch of big risk after some of the backlash we've had? You know, as the last Jedi can certainly be seen as a risk. It was different from any other Star Wars film we've ever seen. Right. In a lot, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it kind of it kind of split the fan base. It did. And then Rise of Skywalker is just full of fan service. Kind of <laughs> split the fan base. Right. So you you you've got to strike a balance between going too far out of the norm and playing it too safe. Neither one really, really works. Right. Um, I, I do think that you have to, it really just boils down to hiring talented people, mm-hmm. figuring out, making sure, let them be creative, let them bring those creative ideas. But at the same time, you're going to have to temper it with, is this really what we want to do? And right. uh, that's kind of, what some of our complaint has been is maybe not having one solid vision and just letting your directors make these films that don't really seem to fit together all the time. Right. But if it's not a trilogy, if it's just a standalone, I think that like, honestly, I think if last Jedi had just been its own thing, I think I would have been really, really down with it. The last Jedi. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't. My, I didn't what love I don't it. like about the Last Jedi is its handling of existing characters. Right. So maybe it would be less of a risk to sort of branch out and tell one-off stories. No, I, I definitely think I think they're going to continue doing some movie series, but I do think that telling some one-offs set in the Star Wars universe is certainly something they should be exploring. I mean, new characters, new places. On, and honestly, I mean, and, and and you know, Daniel does have a point as far as the conversation we we're having about wanting there to be less drama here for a while. Maybe for the next movie or two, they should play it kind of safe. You know, give us some really Star Warsy Star Wars, and then maybe once we've kind of everyone sort of calmed down a little bit, then maybe. You know, at at the risk of making the Marvel comparison yet again, have something that's more of, you know, a heist movie and something that's more of a, you know, you can have different feels um, for different movies as long as you're not doing things that people don't like with Luke Skywalker. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think you can do a lot of things set in the Star Wars universe just because it's such a rich Mm -hmm. universe. That you can go do a, you can go to Coruscant and do a heist movie, right? You can go get, you can go get an Edgar Wright to bank Baby Driver in space. <laughs> I mean, Baby Driver. Well, we've done a heist movie. Did y'all see Solo? We have done a heist movie. It's true, but we could do a heist movie away from our current. But I, I'm again, I also feel like there's a danger in playing it too safe. Also, yes, you you want to have something that feels Star Wars mm-hmm. without trying to. St- stifle the creativity of these really talented people you've been right. hiring to 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 produce these right. films and these TV shows for that matter. I mean Mandalorian I think is kind of the perfect example. Mm-hmm. That's something we haven't really explored to a great detail and you can be creative with it and mm-hmm. and they have been. It's a it is sort of a different type of Star Wars, it, is. it still feels like it is grounded in that world. Right. That's what you need. Yes. That's what you want to do. Exactly. And that's that's an excellent point. You know, I mean, it's very West, you know, it's very, it's very spaghetti Western kind of in its tone, but it's still like a spaghetti Western in Star Wars. So, you know, if people want to make, you know, artsy films about what Rodians do with their day, then have at it. But, you know, make sure that, while it, whilst it's an artsy film about Rodians, it's still also identifiable as Star Wars. You know, not just as it's sort of shoehorned in, but but distinctively has that feel. Andrew's laughing at me over here. Well, yeah, I, I chuckled also. <laughs> a day in the life of a Rodian. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody wants Downton Abbey in space. Says who? You know? I would oh watch Downton Abbey in space. Not if it was supposed to be a Star Wars movie, you wouldn't. I would so, yes. Drama and intrigue and class structures and conflicts. Heck yeah, I would watch me some Downton Abbey in space. No, but I, <laughs> but I, I do think that within Star Wars that there's room. I mean, I think that you need to, it needs to remain familiar as far as what, what the galaxy feels like. I mean, you know, we've had complaints, 
you know, people that don't like Solo, and, you know, I say, well, you know, for the things that all went wrong in the production of Solo and a couple of little nitpicks in the movie, it's like, it off. it's like one of the most Star Wars films ever made. If yeah. what you like is like Excellent. the action and the aliens, you know, all the crazy aliens. I mean, that was like, like walking into the cantina again yep. for the first time. Uh, which has been one of my gripes with Star Wars for a long time mm-hmm. is that like in the very first one we got all these really cool, crazy, weird aliens, and then they never really went there again. Right. And I had to drag David to see that movie, and we walked out of there. But he had the biggest smile on his face, like that's a damn good movie. I said, I yeah, and <laughs> I felt the same. Yeah. But yeah. it was kind of the thing was nobody. That was really part of Solo's problem was nobody really wanted to see it yeah. before it ever came out. Before anybody yeah. even knew, knew anything about it, everybody had their mind made up about it. I did. And Andrew, you and I talked about it on one of our first podcasts, actually. Yeah. If you're not going to see Solo, you are doing yourself an injustice, especially as a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is a good movie. Yep, it really is. So I'm down to eventually... That, I think this is how I'm going to answer that question. Eventually, I would like to see them give a lot of reign to a lot of different kinds of directors to make a lot of different kinds of movies. As long as they all are still firmly grounded in a Star Wars universe. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room to tell a lot of different kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of different kinds of worlds. You know, you have Alderaan that's very, you know, kind of this idyllic, peaceful planet where people devote their times to art and philosophy you know you've got Corellia where they're then there's Coruscant which is just everything you can imagine so I mean you've got as many different kinds of settings as you could really imagine all right and uh so kind of moving away from that and and segueing into the the second half of our show here we had another question from um Ollie K at um at Ollie Sims on Twitter and he wanted to know, outside of movie slash TV, what is your favorite Star Wars media, or what do you look for? T-shirt, clothes, toys, memorabilia, books, comics, Ooh. decorative items. Um, while I just, I don't have like one specific thing that I collect, I would say that the most money in our house is invested in Star Wars artwork. That is the truth. We've bought so much Star Wars artwork, we don't have places to hang it all. It is true. <laughs> it is true. We literally, somebody walked into our house the other day and they were like, huh, how did I not notice the giant Star Wars posters when I was here before? Because literally there are five or six of them in our living room. I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I figured you would notice. <laughs> We've got a, a, a favorite Star Wars artist that we track down when we go to conventions. Yeah, Brent and, and Kayla Woodside, y'all. Beautiful stuff. Yep. And, and, of course, Andrew has his first run uh, prequel era movie p- posters that we have right. framed and hung. Yeah. For whatever you think about the prequels, they're the prettiest posters in, of any Star Wars movies. That's true. Although I have and, to say, uh, I really, really liked the poster, the first poster for The Rise of Skywalker. I'm trying to place which one that was. On the, it was real kind of minimalist on the Star Destroyer with Ray and Kylo. On oh, it. yeah, yeah. Um, mine is going to be the vehicles, the mm. ships, ship yeah. models, mm-hmm. the ship figurines. For as 
Chancy as you make when you think of Hot Wheels, <laughs> you don't really, you know, a quality product doesn't really always pop to mind. But they do, and these things are really good. They do these die-cast yes. Yes. models of the ships. And every time I see one of those, if I don't have it yet, I'll make sure I buy it. And they're not real expensive, but that's Star Wars. That's what I like to collect. I have, I've actually got a little thing in my office where I've got my signed Chewbacca artwork that Peter Mayhew signed uh, oh. at a convention for me one year. And then I've got all my little Hot Wheels die-cast ships in front of it and around it and stuff like that. And I, and I, I like the droids too. I have an R2 an R two D two piggy bank. I like a lot. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of as, droids. As far as collecting, as far as collecting anything in Star Wars, other than just being into the films and TV, it's those model ships I really like, and not just the Hot Wheels, other ones too, the you know toys and things like that. But I really like the ships. I, I like X wings and Tie Fighters. Yeah, that's what I try to pick up. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Elijah's a big fan of anything. Yeah, the hot. The good thing about the Hot Wheels. They're pretty sturdy, too, because mm -hmm. the smallest Padawan is a rough individual. Well, a lot of those ships, I got a lot of those ships when they first started putting them out, and uh -huh. they used to disappear out of my cabinet. Uh-huh. <laughs> Elijah would come sneak in here and tote them off. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, like I said, you know, I don't have like this one thing I collect, but... We do have I a lot of books, cool, too. I tend to get it. Yeah, we do have a lot of books. Like, I mean, and I've spent... A, spent a pretty fair amount of time reading Star Wars books. I think that's probably my my thing that I tend to go in for the most. That and kids' clothes. Y'all, <laughs> if I find it and it's got Star Wars on it and it's the size that one of my children wear, I buy it, like, without fail. It's ridiculous. My kids have so many T-shirts <laughs> with Star Wars emblazoned on them. But... They like it, and I think they're cute. So, so yeah. But yeah, uh, that's pretty much what we collect, other than watching the movies and TV. And uh, I'll put some pictures. pictures of some of my stuff up on. Uh, yeah, we usually, if we go to cons and there's an actor, we try to, you know, get pictures with them while they're there. We're going to try to go. It's not in exactly June. merchandise, but no, kind but, of. <laughs> no, it's still a fun, fun thing to collect. And we're going to go in Jackson in June, Jackson, Mississippi, to see Billy D. Williams. You come in, Daniel. I am going to try to make it to that. Awesome. And as far as the collecting thing goes, I know a lot of people will be surprised I didn't say the comic books. Just for the record, I do have a pretty good run of the Dark Horse mm. uh, Star Wars book comic books from the nineties. Those that that was that was a good series. The Tales of the Jedi mm -hmm. was was one of my favorites. But what I really try to pick up and collect now is the is the ships. I like the I like any of the ship models, the toys. Like yep. I said, those little Hot Wheels diecast things I really like a lot. So yep. that's my collection. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I'll post some stuff on the on Twitter of some of our pictures our of all of our Star Wars yeah. stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, next, I kind of wanted to talk about. We had a couple of things in comic books. We, me and Marisha, already discussed uh, the first two issues of Kylo Ren a little bit. Yeah, but we definitely like to get but Daniel's not, take. Well, Daniel has is back with us now and has had a chance to catch up. And uh, we didn't go too deep because we really wanted to, because neither of us are big comic book readers. Right. We read them very casually, right. and Daniel knows a lot more about comic books than we As do. As an art and form. So he's, yeah. 
Uh, He's a connoisseur. We wanted to talk about those <laughs> with you. Connoisseur. That's a good word. Uh, you can say geek. I don't mind. Uh, the Kylo Ren series, I like so far a lot better than I thought I would. I'm um, with you on that. The it really the first thing that struck me about that book was it it kind of makes me question now how much of the destruction of the academy Kylo was actually responsible for. There's yeah. an explosion there that sort of takes him by surprise in the first issue. I don't know that we're really going to explore that, but I was sort of taken aback by that. I, I do now have a better appreciation of the Knights of Wren. It wasn't something Kylo just started. That was something that existed that he right. wanted to be a part of. So we're, we're getting some more background on that, which I think we needed. One of the biggest complaints about the, the sequel trilogy was that we didn't really get to see the Knights of Wren as much as we seemed to be promised at first. Right. And now we are, as at least we're getting more background about the history of them and where they came from and how Kylo got involved with them. And they're very interesting. There's some interesting characters, especially the, the leader of right. the Knights of Wren that we meet at first is very intriguing to me. How much you want to bet Kylo Ren kills him? No, oh, I'm sure that's exactly what's coming. But and we won't call that a spoiler. That's speculation because it hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened, but I'm just saying right. that's got to be where that's going. <laughs> yeah, and we get to and we. I, I had made a point one time about on my big rant that kind of gets noticed about Kylo being more irredeemable than Vader. Right. And one of the points we made there was that Anakin has spent his whole life being manipulated by Palpatine. Right. Well, apparently Snoke's got a lot more influence on Kylo than we thought, which yeah. we now know from the films, Kylo, I mean, Snoke was just Palpatine, apparently in some form. Right. So that also kind of helps. We, we, we just, we get more understanding of who Ben Solo was and how he got to where we saw him in the films. Right. Because the Itch. truth is, is that from the films alone, we don't really know that much about Ben Solo. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And especially with the way his story ended. And again, you get people like me who didn't think he was worthy of redemption to people who wanted that. And so in the end, he got it. So now we really do need to understand who he was and sort of where his journey went that took him to the place that maybe that's not really who he was in his heart. Mm -hmm. So that's what's interesting about this series. I do think it's a story we need. And of course, Charles, Charles Soule now has become the, after his run on Darth Vader, which was an amazing series, one of the best Star Wars comic book series that we've ever had, uh, Soul has kind of become the Star Wars guy for Marvel. He's not, yeah. not only is he writing this Kylo Ren series, he's also writing the new uh, Star Wars series that that just picked up. He is. He's also uh, one of the. He's also one of the handful of writers involved in Project, Project Luminous. Luminous. Yeah, he's he's certainly becoming for that section of Star Wars. He's almost the Kevin Feige of the print. Mm-hmm media for star wars is yeah. kind of where i see this going and he seems to be doing um, a good job so uh, he is he's he was already even before he got involved with star wars he was one of my favorite writers at one time he was writing a lot of the marvel superhero books you know he was one of their go-to writers and now he's he really has kind of moved into this star wars realm where he really seems to fit 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've enjoyed that series more than I thought I would. I didn't realize we needed that series as much as we did till I started reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, so very impressed so far. Well, and I think you, you make an excellent point that whenever whenever they decided to redeem Kylo Ren, right, they decided to bring Ben Solo back as as a character, you know, back to his former self, then it really does beg the question, okay, so who was the, you know, we know the kind of, you know, story that he tells about how badly he's been used. But he honestly, kind of, in to me, just sort of came off as a spoiled, privileged um, yep. kid who didn't get, who things didn't go exactly his way. And so decided to be um, a psychopath and kill millions of people. And, you know, that's a, that, that's not, but, but when we decided to redeem him, I think that it's important that his character has more depth than that. And to address something, because I know I might get some feedback on it. Vader's arc in the original trilogy, because people are going to say, well, you know, we redeemed Vader with no question. Right. In Return of the Jedi. Well, but you just hit on it, Marisha. Their, their arcs went differently. But we, we kept seeing Kylo. He had opportunities to turn back to the light in the first two movies as well, in Force Awakens. Right. And in uh, The Last Jedi, he had chances to turn back the light that he just threw away, went right. deeper into the dark. Right. We didn't see that with Vader. You know, we, we and we also didn't get to get as much introspective time with Vader as he did with Kylo. Right. So we don't really you can kind of you can kind of imagine his inner struggle. Right. You didn't get to see him not having one. We spent so much time with the Kylo Ren character, you never really saw him struggle with the light and the dark. Right. You just saw him get darker and darker and darker until all of a sudden you snap your fingers at the you know, in the last third of uh, Rise of Skywalker and all of a sudden he turns back to the light. It was sort of felt a little out of character at that point because he just kept going deeper and deeper. Right. So maybe, I think we need his background story more than we needed Anakin's. Right. To be able to understand how that was even possible. Now that we know, we've seen episode nine, we know that Snoke is some sort of puppet for Palpatine. Right. right? Right. You know, and now and then that that first, I guess it's in the is it in the first book where we see Kylo talking to Snoke? It's a uh, second one, I think. Or is it in the second? Is that issue one or two, Daniel? The first one. Okay. okay. The uh the last half of the first book, he actually travels to go see Snoke yeah. in person. Yeah. And, and tells Snoke he's going to seek out the knights of Ren. It's that same snake, snake in the garden whispering in his ear, mm-hmm. and it, it's um. You know, it draws those parallels, and it's it's like it really it really kind of brings all that home for what has actually happened. To it's him. it's like watching Palpatine and Revenge of the Sith. You know, just sort of. I mean, he he just he plays Anakin like like a daggum fiddle. He just he knows exactly what buttons to push, and clearly he knows Ben Solo's buttons as well. So right. Um, I am still curious because they did all this with still not telling us a whole lot about Snoke and right. how how he actually became part of. My, my actual thoughts from watching Rise of Skywalker is Snoke's just a cloned body. Palpatine somehow projected his 
mm. uh, mind into. Yeah. Because, I mean, he literally tells Kylo, I'm every voice you've ever heard in your yeah. head. Yeah, that's my assumption as well. Right. Which, that's its own share of creepy. Well, Man. yeah, it's Palpatine. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, another, we've never is seen... Is a better word for Palpatine than creepy? I mean, like, possessing bodies is, like, next level creepy, though. Creating clone bodies just to possess them, I mean, that's, like, dark sci-fi. Mm-hmm. That's... I mean, honestly, I think that they pulled it off pretty well, because typically that train of, of, of conversation is where sci-fi goes to die. That is not generally a productive place uh, to go long-term in science fiction. Well, they just kind of brushed it off and just sort of alluded to it and didn't go too deep into it. That's just, you true. Know, you, didn't have to, you didn't have to take a deep dive into that and It's get probably lost. just as well. Right. So um, somebody, somebody proposed that uh, um, Snoke is a a clone of Plagueis. What do y'all think about that? I mean, uh, at this point, I don't think that makes any sense. That was, that was a theory. A lot of people had that he was Darth Plagueis, you know, whenever this mm-hmm. trilogy first started at this point, I don't think that train of thought holds any water, even makes any sense, but he is a clone uh, of something a totally moot point or somebody, huh? but who is he clone of? Clearly it's somebody who's a force user. Maybe is it just an, Genetically engineered body, period. That's true. Yeah, Ooh, that's even creepier. Yeah, we, we don't know. Uh, you got to remember, uh, we in the Clone Wars, we see the Emperor doing a fair amount of experimenting with clones. Oh, that's true, yeah. Hmm. So, who knows? I mean, at this point, like, it could be Plagueis, and it doesn't, like, hurt anything. I just don't think it's... It matters. I don't think it matters, because he's not, he's not Plagueis. Anybody, yeah. Like... Right. You could sure it can be a clone of Plagueis's body, but like to what end? All right, Daniel, you said you got a chance to start the new Star Wars series. I did, and we had talked about a few months back when they ended the last uh, Star Wars comic, and we were talking about that we could tell it was leading up to the events of Empire Strikes Back. New story, the new Star Wars series actually picks up the moment Luke gets his hand cut off and Empire Strikes Back. That's the first thing you see. The first panel, the first issue. Wow, okay. is his hand being severed? Ah. Um, and what we're really seeing is Luke sitting on the Millennium Falcon after they've rescued him from dangling from the bottom of Cloud City. Right. Uh, and he's just replaying the events in his mind. But that's really where it picks up. Is right mm-hmm. at that moment. Lando and Leia and, Ch- and Chewie are arguing about what to do next. <laughs> do we go meet back up with the fleet? You know, we had to turn around to pick up Luke, so now we've lost the opportunity to go straight after Boba Fett. But wait, you know, as Chewie points out, we know exactly where Boba Fett's going. He's going to take Han back to Jabba the Hutt. So right. they don't have to go after him immediately. Luke's had his hand cut off. The fleet needs needs us. We're going to go meet back up with the fleet. So... In Empire, all, all we see of the fleet is Luke's getting his hand repaired and Lando and Chewie are going to fly off to uh, go find Han. Right. So we jump back into that. So now when we meet the fleet, the fleet's in the middle of a battle. You know, all this is going on with things we didn't see in Empire, mm-hmm. uh, just these first couple of issues of the series. And, I'm, and then we'll pick up from, from there. Uh, intervening months between end of empire and the beginning return of the Jedi is oh, okay. where is the territory we'll explore going forward. 
So that's awesome. Well, that's the mm. the other. There's this is the third Star Wars series, right? Or is this the second? This, this is, the, is second, the second second run. First runs between A New Hope and Empire, correct? Correct. So, one thing I wanted to mention because Charles Soule posted this picture earlier today. Did you catch this, Daniel? I did not. It is the cover of, I believe, what will be issue number five of the new Star Wars series, which mm-hmm. depicts Luke wielding a yellow lightsaber. Hmm. That will be interesting. There's uh, actually never s- knew he had a lightsaber between the blue and the green. Okay, so there was always, like, even going way back into legend stuff, like that he had some sort of lightsaber that he used in the intermediary between losing Anakin's lightsaber. And building his own. Mm-hmm. There was also a toy that came out uh, that actually is a toy of Luke holding a yellow lightsaber. Really? Yes. And I, saw, I saw that toy the other day on Facebook Marketplace. And do not ask me why I have not bought it yet. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> at this point, it may be worth snatching up. But uh, yeah, the, the artwork definitely shows Luke. And the saber actually has some similarities from what we can see to a temple guard saber. It doesn't appear to be a double-bladed saber, but it does look a lot like a temple guard hilt. Yeah. And another point to this series, if you're one of those people who's been asking yourselves, how did Maz get the blue saber, Anakin saber? We will be exploring that in this series as well. We've actually already had a single panel shot of someone recovering the blue saber. Nice. Okay. I expect that to be a subplot to this series. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like they've got some really interesting because filling in the gaps is always a really interesting story. You know, filling right. in those little the things that happen between A New Hope and, and Empire and between Empire and and Return of the Jedi. You know, it's you've got there's not a whole lot of story to be told during the original series. So I think it's good that we're, and it'll be really interesting to see how much old stories they pull in there. Well, you know, that's where shadows of the empire fits. Yeah. But shadows isn't canon at this point. No, but it should be. I I caught it. Charles soul was joking the other day. Somebody from the story group was bashing dash Rendar as a ripoff of Han Solo and blah, blah, blah. And Charles soul posted. And that's why I won't be including Dash Rendar in my new Star Wars series. I will, however, be using a new character I've created, Rash Dendar. (laughs) Somebody somebody made a joke, too, about introducing Dash Rendar just so they could kill him off. I can't remember which writer (laughs) said that. I did did see that the the other day, but I, I don't remember who said that. Although somebody asked uh, Zachary Levi a few weeks ago if he could play, like, if he could be in Star Wars, what character would he want to play? And he said Dash Rendar. I'd be down for I that. I see you gotta that remember, movie. you got to remember, Zachary Levi is also a big gaming nerd. So, of course, he chose mm-hmm. Dash Rendar. I'd, I'd go see that movie. But the thing is about him being a ripoff of Han Solo, that was, that was the intent behind the character, was he was like... He's another Corellian who's like trying to, he's, he's almost trying to emulate mm-hmm. Han Solo to a point, except he wants to be better than. Right. Right. He's almost like the character that we saw in 
the episode of um, except that he was more likable, but he's in some ways like the character from the Mandalorian that was sitting in Han's seat in oh, the yeah. cantina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the other bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he turned out not to be very nice. No, that that actor actually, he probably has worked his last in Star Wars after his tirade about the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, which mostly read his bitterness about having his character killed off. Right, but he knew that going in. They gave him a script. Right, y'all. The next person I see on Twitter complaining about how their favorite ship in Star Wars did not work out, I'm going to lose my cool. (laughs) I mean, for real. Like, when did the world become a place where if a relationship is not romantic, it just doesn't even count? Like, somebody was complaining about they, you know, sidelined Poe's relationship with Finn to just a bromance. It's like, Comrades in Arms is like the oldest and most important of like tropes in stories and and some of the most important relationships in the world have been brothers at arms sort of relationships. I mean, since when is that a, you know, oh, and then there's the person who was complaining because Ray and Finn weren't a thing, you know, because clearly I mean, so what? They can't they can't have an important relationship with emotional depth if they're not romantically involved. involved i'm oh but do you remember all the people who were so ticked off after endgame because hawkeye and scarlet witch totally should have been an item and you know like how are we supposed to believe that why you know she was so much of a sacrifice for him what if they weren't sleeping together that they couldn't love each other in an important and meaningful way Black Widow? right people i'm sorry i'm just you i said scarlet witch but you meant black widow oh right? yes i meant black widow Scarlet Witch. It really, okay, it really throws me because the woman's name is Scarlet Johansson. (laughs) And so every time I see her face, I say the wrong name. (laughs) Hey, it makes sense. It's perfectly reasonable. (laughs) I got you. Uh huh. I see. Not making fun of me at all in your head, I can tell. All right. I did have a couple of other little small things I kind of forgot about here. Uh, we got our first excerpt from the Rise of Skywalker novelization. Today. Oh, did you read that? Did you read it? I did not know it was even there. It is a thing. Um, a terrible Star Wars fan. <laughs> but well, I wouldn't have noticed it if I hadn't just been laying around doing nothing all day. But the uh, there's an excerpt out. And it actually, what I found most interesting about it was that it actually covers one of the scenes that was deleted Mm -hmm. from the movie. Right. uh, Where Kylo Ren actually goes to Mustafar to find the Wayfinder, that opening scene. There was a scene where he actually gets the Wayfinder that's cut out of the movie. And that's where this, uh, that was the excerpt, is that deleted scene. Yeah. Yeah, the conversation that he has with one of the Guardian creatures and... Explains some who the people on Exegol, not Exegol, um, who the people on Mustafar were and, and what they were doing there and kind of their their relationship with Vader and all of that. So, yeah, it was it was pretty it, it makes me want to go buy the book, which I'm sure is what it's intended to do. So so we have that out there you should check out. And did any did Daniel, did you catch the last trailer for the Clone Wars animated series? No, I didn't. 
Okay. Well, they dropped Stop the new trailer. Stop asking me. I haven't seen anything. Like that. <laughs> He's been see. working and taking care of children like an adult, right. unlike you. Marisha, He's been sick in bed. It? No, I've been taking care of all of your stuff today because you you've been sick in you bed. You saw it. It was last week. It's oh, the it's Bad last Batch week. trailer. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I thought so, it was more current than that. No. Um, Wait, it was which trailer? Okay. So basically, we're, we're not getting but like, what, eight episodes? Uh, something like yeah. that. And half of it is going to be the Siege of Mandalore. The other half that they haven't talked about yet, or at least another chunk of it, is going to be the Bad Batch, which was some clones that had different genetic mutations that... Defects. Defects that gave them different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and they were just cool. known as the Bad Batch. They were actually... That's, that is actually part of the unfinished episodes... That mm-hmm. have been floating around out there for a number of years, but they've actually finished them. Yeah. And they look pretty amazing. I know they've been talking about that. Like, I know Cameron was talking about that at Christmas. He was talking about what he wanted to see in the new Clone Wars series. And we probably should get him on here to talk about Clone Wars at some point. Yeah. I mean, we always knew we were getting Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know. like Exactly what it was going to consist of. Right. That, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it should be a really cool arc. I mean, the, even the unfinished episodes were, were really cool yeah um so really really excited for that show to be coming back even if we're only getting eight weeks worth of it four hours that's a real long movie so you just have to that's like how you have to look at those things sometimes it's like mm-hmm. don't think of it as a series think of it as a real long movie it'll be better yeah. that you only get to see 20 minutes at a time yeah i wish disney would just Go on the Netflix model and drop it all. Yeah. I, I, I do think for another day. I do think that once they get enough material flowing on there, that they that that could happen. I think right now it's a matter of just keeping the numbers up. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to keep people from canceling. You know, after before they fulfill their one week trial period, we'll go get a trial and binge it and uh-huh. be done and cancel it. Which is what I was planning to do with Picard, but we haven't watched it yet, so I guess I'm going to pay for at least one month of it. Alas. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. It might be a little bit shorter than a normal episode, but I've been sick, and I didn't take good notes this week. (laughs) So we will be back next week, and I will have a better outline for the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, Daniel, where can people find you online? I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter. All right, Marisha, what about you? I am uh, Princesses and Padawans. I've got a website, princessesandpadawans.com. I am princesses underscore Padawans, princesses underscore and underscore Padawans on Instagram. And occasionally on Twitter, I'm P Padawans on Twitter. So at some point, I actually have to start doing some things on the internet again. But y'all, life is like demanding Homeschooling three kids is no joke. I don't have time for all the playing on the internet. When I do, I'm scrolling through Facebook mindlessly. I don't have enough mental energy to formulate tweets. All right, and I'm Andrew Gore, and you can find me running the Twitter account for this show and for the Science Fictionarian at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can drop us a line at the Science Fictionary at gmail.com or Course Not Radio Underground at gmail.com. You can check out our website at thesciencefictionary.com. And until next week, may the force be with you. 
One, two, three, four. Hello, fellow geeks. This is Alex from the Scarif Podcast. If you're chomping at the bit for more quality discussion on the stuff you love, like science fiction, fantasy, action, adventure, subscribe to the Sci-Fictionary channel or visit thesciencefictionary.com. 